Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So let me ask you, who's in charge of your life? Who's the captain of your boat? Do you have personal sovereignty? Can you make the call? Can you make the change? I'm I'm really very stoked about tonight's show. I really um <laughs> Um, this is going to be a delightful show, but who's running the boat? Who's, who's calling the shots in your life? Well, of course it's, it's you, right? Right? Pretty much. Yeah. Can you make a change if you want to? Are you archetypally agile? Can you summon up a new dynamic for yourself? Have you ever wished that you could change something in your life and maybe you try a vision board, uh, affirmations, and yet Hmm, huh, not much change. Out of these three personas, is it your consciousness, your ego, your mind, your conscious consciousness? (laughs) Is it your subconscious? Or is it your superconscious? your soul, your higher self, your 5D, 6D, 7D, whatever. Who's who's running the show? If you wanted to make a change, could you? Across all aspects of your life. Yes, no, maybe. If you look at the past two years, three years, five years, 10 years. Is there an attribute in your life that hasn't changed that you would really prefer that it change? Does your steering wheel work, I guess? Am I, is this thing on? It's like the the rudder of the boat is knelt down. You see yourself repeating a pattern, repeating a a narrative, and not being able to really execute the change that you might prefer. I think we're we're gonna get right to it because what a show. I'm very delighted about tonight's show. The topic tonight is the Empowerment Solution, and our guest tonight is Dr. Friedman Schwab. We're going to bring him on in a minute, but 
The Empowerment Solution. It's it's the name of his latest book, The Empowerment Solution. Six Keys to Unlocking Your Full Potential with the Subconscious Mind. I've been studying the human psyche for a long time, at least 30 years and probably more than that. And we've had this show for well over a decade and hundreds of interviews. And it, man, I tell you, the the family of origin. Now, I know there's seven or eight billion people on the planet. Not everybody grew up in a family, foster homes, adoptions. Tarzan was raised in the jungle by the animals. And I and what I'm saying is there's not a single type of um, early childhood dynamic that applies across the seven or eight billion people alive. But for the most part, the day you were born, you didn't have an ego. You didn't have a thinker. You didn't have a... A symbol table, you didn't have an established set of values, perhaps your subconscious was empty or perhaps some of your subconscious had been programmed while you were in the womb. Perhaps your soul looked at your family dynamic and said, I want to make sure there's a good solid train wreck or three in my life narrative. Something to crack me open, something to wake me up. I want to make flipping sure that I become conscious in this lifetime. And so your soul might have chose uh, a tough family dynamic to to load the cards, load your hand, load the the narrative to make sure that you you woke up in this lifetime. If you're listening to this show, you're you're on your path. It's it's uh it's what we do here. Now, this show was recorded maybe a week ago or whatever. And uh cuz Dr. Friedman was in France at the time and it's probably two o'clock in the morning now. So we we set up a pre-record. So I already know that this is a superb show. And I want to say right off the top, I endorse this book. I don't endorse many books. I've talked to hundreds of authors, and I could probably count on one hand the books I've endorsed. I endorse this book. Chances are very good this book will bring insights to your ego mind so you can better understand the programming of your subconscious mind. And until your subconscious mind, your ego mind, and your soul or higher consciousness is in harmony, you've got you've got work to do. <laughs> I don't know if I like calling it work, but let's get to it. Again, the topic tonight is the empowerment solution, six keys to unlock, unlocking your full potential with the subconscious mind. In this step-by-step guide, Dr. Friedman explores 
how to break free from the six most common survival patterns, the victim, the invisible, the procrastinator, the chameleon, the helper, and the lover by engaging the part of the mind that created them in the first place. Subconscious, the subconscious mind. Providing research-backed insights and brain rewiring methods based on his 20 years experience, Dr. Friedman details how through activating the healing power of the subconscious, you can throw off the shackles of these self-sabotaging patterns and flip them into the six keys to to self-empowerment, allowing you to take self-reliant ownership of your life, revealing how to work with the subconscious mind and become the leader of your life. You're driving the boat. The author details how you how to free yourself from living in survival mode, learn to love and accept yourself, and make authentic and confident your everyday way of being. Dr. Friedman is a physician, researcher, personal development coach, and author of the award-winning book, The Fear and Anxiety Solution. His research and advice has been featured in many publications including Natural Medicine, Oprah Magazine, Huffington Post, Reader's Digest, Teen Vogue, and Shape. He is the host of the Empowerment Solutions podcast and lives between Seattle, Washington, and the south of France. You can learn more about Dr. Friedman at drfriedman.com. And that is D-R-F-R-I-E-D-E-M-A-N. Get ready for a great episode. Here's the interview. See you on the other side. Welcome to the show, Dr. Friedman. Well, thank you so much for having me. I have to say, what a compelling book. Um, I, I, myself, I find the subconscious is such a really a prominent and oftentimes dominant part of our personality, and yet because of its very nature, it's subconscious off the radar. How did you, how did you come across this material? Well, you know, it's an interesting story because I actually came across my own anxiety for a long time first, and I didn't really know what to do with it. And it was in the 70s, 80s, you know, the the treatment options were limited and people didn't send their kids, especially where I grew up in Germany, not right away to a therapist. So I was pretty much bound to stick with my anxiety and how to deal with it on my own. And so I developed coping mechanisms and one of them was OCD and trying to control my environment and all the patterns that also I describe in the book, they were kind of my go-to way of living. And when I became a physician and uh, specialized in cardiology, I, I also noticed, well, I'm not alone with anxiety. There are so many people that are anxious. All my patients are stressed out, not only because they had something with their heart or a stroke, but 
because they were already stressed out before and that had then manifested in physical issues. And I didn't really like that the only way to help was to treat the symptoms and not really the root cause. And I was uh, firm, I'm still a very firm believer in the mind-body connection and that many of our illnesses are caused by the mind. So I stepped away from medicine for a while and went into research and and there I really kind of uh, blew my mind that what I learned in medicine and what I saw in research are kind of the opposite. In medicine, it's always this idea that, you know, the body is not really that that well equipped, so the doctor needs to swoop in and, and heal. And, and research was kind of the opposite, where you really saw that every cell has such an amazing potential to heal and grow and adapt. And so I was really fascinated by that idea and also by the notion that there there are trillions of cells in our body that somehow all work beautifully together. So what is the the overruling or the governing force inside? And then I talked to a friend of mine who talked about a a um, well some developmental course he was uh, taking on the subconscious mind. And you know how those things are. All of a sudden, all my inner lights went on. I thought, wow, a subconscious <laughs> mind, that sounds really cool. <laughs> and I did, uh, you know, delve into it. It's many uh, courses and classes and uh, got a lot of uh, knowledge about what we can do to befriend our subconscious mind and collaborate with the subconscious mind. And that all was 20 plus years ago. And and since ever then, I feel that we have a huge ally inside of us, a sleeping giant or healer that unfortunately most of us are not taking advantage of. And that's a subconscious mind. Wow, very nice. Well, I like to kind of knockout terms early in the conversation. Now, your book's called The Empowerment Solution, Six Keys to Unlocking Your Full Potential with the Subconscious Mind. So if we think about the subconscious as a mechanism or a, a behavior or some as an attribute, how would you do, describe the subconscious as how it operates? Well, I think the subconscious is right from the start our protective nanny because our conscious mind is not very developed as we know. It takes us you know, two decades at least to finally get our faculties together. So the subconscious watches over us. It just uh, looks out for anything that can go wrong. And therefore, the subconscious also takes a lot of information in, even in the womb. I mean, it's well documented that there is the protective force in the womb that notices when things outside the womb are not going well. Parents fighting, accidents happening, illnesses, and all of this is registered by the subconscious. And the subconscious basically then draws conclusions. It says, okay, so we have to watch out to, you know, when, when dad, for example, is in a bad mood, or we have to watch out to not get 
uh, into embarrassing situations or we have to get a little bit of attention and love because we are dependent on the grown-ups through being good and not causing trouble or hiding out. And so all of these behaviors are based on the idea that we are kind of helpless and we need to navigate through this big world and this, you know, these relationships in the most secure way. Now, that makes all total sense. The only problem is that what the subconscious does, so it creates patterns, it uh, installs these awarenesses, you could call, you know, the triggers that make us feel a certain way. And there are certain beliefs that are all overruling it. For me, personally, my anxiety belief was that I'm not good enough and I'm only acceptable if I perform well. And those patterns and beliefs and triggers, they stay with us. They stay with us because the subconscious doesn't get any new information. The subconscious basically says, well, I'm sorry, I still think you need my help because the conscious mind, the conscious adult doesn't really go to the subconscious and say, you know, I'm not 10 years old anymore. We don't need to do this anymore. Let's see ourselves and the world in a different way. Because if we do that, the subconscious says, oh, we don't have to do self-protective anymore. We can actually go into a different gear. We can look for more purpose or fulfillment. I see it all the time with the people I work with. The subconscious is a willing uh, ally, a willing uh, supporter, but it needs instructions. It needs to have a new, you know, owner's manual. If not, and that's what we see all the time, we go just through the same behaviors over and over again, wondering why nothing changes. Oh, that's what the subconscious does. It just has that job and it holds on to it until someone tells it to do something else. Very nice. I like that. Well, you mentioned that our conscious mind might take a, you know, a couple of decades to become coherent. And you also mentioned the subconscious in the womb. Is the subconscious much more like put together and intact, even you know the day we're born, and it's it's a functional, coherent engine, so to speak. You know, that's a mystical part of the subconscious that we don't really know. You know, we don't really know it's a subconscious. Uh, the entire nervous system, you know, not only the brain, but all the nerves that are in our body and our, you know, in our intestines and, or is the subconscious even something beyond that? You know, I believe the subconscious is more like an intercessor between the soul and the conscious mind. And in that regard, maybe it has, you know, a consciousness level that exists already right from the start when we are just a clump of cells. But what is scientifically known is that, um, and it's called epigenetics, when there is uh, something turbulent or chaotic or difficult happening while we are in the womb, certain things change in our genetics that genes that are more putting us on alert and are predisposing us more to anxiety are turned on. And that that makes people, and this is not like, you know, anxiety was passed down from mother or father's side. It's more like that 
the genes that create, you know, us more into this uh, uh, alert uh, awareness system that are more, you know, creating stress response, that those genes in people that had, you know, some traumatic experiences while being in the womb, that those genes are turned on while other people that had a very peaceful pregnancy don't have those genes turned on. And that's, that's just a really interesting phenomenon. So who inside of us had the awareness that something is not right, that our existence may be in jeopardy, that we are born into a world that may not be safe. And I think that's a subconscious. Nice. Well, we've talked about epigenetics many times on this show, so I'm glad you brought that up. The the it for me the I see the subconscious as um, a, like a in some sense a data gatherer. In other words, as it's going through life experiences, it's building this perhaps model of it how it perceives the environment and what it needs to do to protect itself. And, and what I'm getting at here is the subconscious seems to not ever go back and tidy itself up, so to speak, or 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 reevaluate um, strategies. And um, for me, uh, I've shared on the show many times um, that I had a subconscious mechanism put in as a child I was the last of seven and my father was a World War II vet when my father got mad everybody tried to become invisible and, mm. and so I at a very early age I installed a mechanism in my subconscious to never ever 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 show anger mm. and it was so embedded in my in my subconscious that I was a, hey, I'm a happy guy. I, you know, I, I'm lighthearted. I don't ever get mad. Mm -hmm. And, and so I end up on a psychiatrist's couch and he's like, well, let's talk about anger. And I'm like, this is a waste of time. And, <laughs> and little did I know I had a huge amount of anger in my psyche because mm -hmm. my subconscious made sure I avoided it at all cost. So, you know, it's like if, how do you tell if you're sleepwalking? I mean, you can maybe sprinkle flour on the kitchen floor and then the next morning look and see if there's footsteps in it. The subconscious by its very nature is off our radar. How, how can we tell if we have prominent subconscious mechanisms that might not be serving us anymore? I mean, what's a metaphorical flower we can sprinkle on the floor to, <laughs> to, to bring this stuff into a conscious space? Yeah, that's a really good question. I like your story about an angry father because I certainly had also a World War II father who had a lot of anger and my uh, mechanism installed was being the peacemaker since my name is literally man of peace friedman means man of peace and and so that was my designated role 
So when everyone was hiding, I had to go into the front lines of his anger and basically try to calm him down. So that was not necessarily a a fun job to have, but I just took it on and it never changed until I consciously was aware of the flower on the floor. And I think the flower on the floor is usually when we are realizing that whatever we are doing is not working anymore. And how do we know that? Well, it's either that we are noticing that there is something brewing inside of us. This is usually an emotion that creates a a wake-up in itself. And many listeners have these emotions, and this emotion is anxiety. I think anxiety is our biggest inner GPS system that tells us not that only something outside needs to be, you know, avoided and uh, we have to, you know, watch out for any kind of uh, pain or danger. It's really also telling us whether we are living our truth, whether we are on track. And when I was uh, years into uh, my um, residency, I all of a sudden woke up with panic attacks. And the panic attacks were really, really loud. And there was a booming voice in my head that <laughs> said, oh, is this what you want to do for another 25 years? Are you sure about that? And the awareness of, oh, my God, 25 more years of living in this and treating people like numbers and going through all this stress of you know, dealing with symptoms but never really helping the root cause. It just made me wake up and realize that is not it. I don't want to live my life like this. And the anxiety was my wake-up call. And I could tell you countless stories where people may at first feel like, oh, my God, I don't like this anxiety. I want to suppress it. But when they are listening to it, it makes them realize the anxiety just wants them to realize that they're living in a consciousness, in a pattern, in a belief system that is no longer in alignment uh, with what they are here for. You know, I had a client who was getting a lot of anxiety and and she was really struggling and she was an accountant and she felt like, you know, I don't understand. I'm in my 50s and why do I all of a sudden have anxiety? And so we dug a little bit deeper. And when she listened to the voice of the anxiety, it was clear that the anxiety said, you have the gift of creativity inside of you, you are born to be an artist and you're not using it whatsoever. And when she was starting to use this creativity of hers and, you know, it came all the way down that she even had an exhibition and quit her job, the anxiety was completely gone. You know, she was as happy as you can imagine. So there is a mechanism inside of us that is also coming from the subconscious that does say, and this is where I say, you know, I said at the beginning that maybe the subconscious is the intercessor between the soul and the and the conscious mind, that the subconscious also does check in. Is it really what we're supposed to do? Is it really how we're supposed to live? And another example is when we do something that we know it's outside of our morals and values. And we may do it because our boss asks us to do it or because we can save a few bucks or because we want an instant gratification. But we do feel there is something inside of that. Nah, you can do better. That's not really you. 
And that is, again, not our intellect. That's more the subconscious telling us. And so this, the flower on the floor is paying attention to what we feel and the spontaneous thoughts that come up. You can also pay attention to your dreams because they go, go directly to the subconscious and and then see what's really going on with you. That wakes you up in itself. Wow, very nice. I like that. Well, the the anxiousness you talked about for uh, for myself, the the notion of of dad getting angry was um, I'm sure I saw my my mother's face um, when his anger came out, and I mm. I might I might have said told myself I don't want to ever be the cause of such um, torment to my mother. What I'm getting at, so the anxiety is is kind of a push pull tug of war between uh, if I if I behave incorrectly, I guess I'm generalizing this. If I behave incorrectly, the thing, um, the situation that put the mechanism in place might happen again, like. Uh, like an abusive household. So, right. you know, dad beats the crap out of mom every night and and fast forward uh, 20 years and dad's in the ground. He's he's passed on. But that doesn't mean the mechanism just turns off. And, and so that anxiety perhaps is, do you think it's the like the ego mind that says, if I don't, if I don't behave correctly here, the wheels might fall off the cart and we'll have another whatever the episode is. I mean, where's the, where's the tug of war in that anxiety? Well, I do think that the ego, how we call it, is a small part of us, usually the inner child who just, you know, gets scared or feels in need or wants to somehow feel a void and and that voice can be very loud absolutely so that's an anxiety that is all about how can i keep the head down stay you know in a safe place don't create any conflict that's an old pattern and that's what certainly happens when you you know grew up with a father who was a rageaholic but then, you know, maybe there is also another anxiety that makes you live in this invisibility mode and not to express yourself, not to speak up, not to, you know, really uh, ask for what you want or what you believe in. And maybe there is not necessarily the loud anxiety of duck and cover, but maybe there is an anxiety that's, well, that doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like I'm satisfied. It doesn't feel like that I really you know, living my fullest life, this comfort zone that I'm living in since my childhood gets smaller and smaller and suffocates me more and more. And I cannot breathe because I want to finally break out of this prison. That is more another form of anxiety that says, let's find another way. Let's get out of this. This is often when relationships fall apart, or in my case, when we change jobs or you know, when we are just uh, wanting to break free from those chains of those survival patterns. It's a different form of focus, a different form of anxiety, 
And that's the beauty about what's going on inside of us. You know, that there is a whole orchestra of different emotions playing. And usually, you know, we are not paying attention to it. We can learn so much about ourselves and how we navigate through life and how we can reach our potential and how we can great, create more fulfillment and, and happiness if we just tune in. But most of us are tuned out or distracted by what's going on around us and by all these voices that say, well, this is how you should be and this is your truth and this is what's not okay. We get confused and that confusion and feeling disconnected from ourselves, that in itself creates a sense of, you know, smallness and dependency, just like we did when we were children. And so those survival patterns just dig the heels in and keep on going. Nice. I like what you said about your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller, because certainly that's what put me on the couch that led me to actually get cracked open and and that the day I connected with that anger it changed my life forever in mm. very profound ways so um it's mm. it's curious that you say that the subconscious can come forward so to speak in our awareness and say hey uh do we really want to be running this program anymore does it apply anymore um how can we tell when our subconscious is is stepping forward, so to speak, to get our attention, is is there a, I mean, so many people have like life in the fast brain, and and <laughs> and you know their heart and their soul can give them inspiration, and it's like throwing socks in a in a fast ceiling fan, and the the pattern thinking just bats it away. How do we? How do we become aware of and perhaps receptive to uh, those episodes when our subconscious says, hey, you know, uh, let's reevaluate this? Well, I think that there are these different levels where we have nudges and awarenesses. And, and usually, you know, the first few we may override. So there is the level of just having the spontaneous thoughts coming up that made us tell you, you know, that that's not nice or I don't like to, you know, wake up next to my partner or I don't really want to go to work or I feel like, you know, there's just not enough joy in my life right now. And, you know, it's just, we don't pay attention. We don't want to hear this kind of stuff. That's like, you know, negative Nelly. And then, then we get maybe more the emotional part to it. We feel more stressed and then we feel more anxious. And, and we notice that there is also a certain kind of exhaustion or depression sitting, uh, setting in. And, uh, and then we are overriding this with uh, energy drinks and alcohol and weed and whatever we are doing just to make ourselves feel a little bit better. So that's not really always what most people uh, are willing to pay attention to. And then... Then there are the physical issues where we realize, well, I have sleep issues or I have chronic pain or there is an inflammation inside of me. That usually makes people a little bit more aware. But even there are all these uh, allopathic things to suppress the pain. And in the end, it's really when our life somehow seems unmanageable, you know, when things fall apart, when we are 
feeling just so at this place of, I can't do this anymore. Relationships disappear, the jobs disappear, and then kind of life forces us to make a change. Change is really inevitable in life. I mean, uh, I know that if I would have overwritten this panic attack and stayed in you know, my career, I probably would have had a heart attack or two to wake me up because it wasn't really in alignment. Same thing when I lived in Seattle and I felt more and more suffocated by, by living there. And uh, just because, you know, we lived in the city, all this noise and all this uh, commotion, and it just didn't feel in alignment anymore. And I know if I would have stayed there, somehow my body would have reacted, responded. So it's all a matter of just taking ourselves serious again and not just seeing ourselves as little soldiers who all need to function well and go for the same you know goal which ultimately is some financial security and a and a good little life that may not be a life that we really dreamt of may not be the life that we really are meant to live but uh, it's uh, the life that we are told that's what you can have and and if we are realizing no our life is really our unique creation this is we are coming here for a reason. We all have a contribution to make, and we are all these unique individuals, and we cannot just squeeze ourselves into cookie cutter mode. So when we are taking ourselves more serious, and we are tuning out all these distractions, and just spending some time with ourselves, simply asking questions, what do I really want? What, what doesn't really work right now in my life? What am I feeling? What are my thoughts? What are the things where I see I'm having these survival patterns holding me back? And, you know, especially these six patterns I, divide, I describe in the book, they're huge stumbling blocks, huge weights that hold us back. And if we are aware of that we are living in those patterns, and if we're learning how to pay attention where they come from and how to overcome them and turn them around, we gradually gain freedom. You know, you cracked open. I escaped. But it doesn't always have to be a prison break. It can also <laughs> be a, a gradual enfoldment of a greater yet to be. It doesn't have to be something where you're feeling, well, the only way now to overcome this pattern is pretty much, you know, just throw everything down the drain and start new. No, you, you can just live your normal life by just adding a little bit of awareness and then adding a little bit of authentic freedom and adding a little bit of your own self into the mix. You will feel, huh, I'm actually already breathing easier. I'm already seeing how I can make myself feel more worthy or take better care of myself. And from that level, you go to the next level and eventually you come to a place which in the book is described where you are the leader of your life, the creator of your reality. And then when you have the solidity in sight, then you will automatically know what to do, whether to improve relationships, change your careers, live, uh, leave the, the, the place where you've been living, or keep it all the same, but really create it in a way that it fits for you, that it brings you a sense of joy and purpose. That is, I think, what this new owner manual of empowerment can give you. Very nice. 
the uh, for myself one thing i recognize is i'm much more um open minded but i don't that that word doesn't fit as well as uh, i'd like it to but um when my heart my soul whatever told me to write a book my ego argued with my heart for like six years to write a book because <laughs> it just didn't fit and i i think i was i was still trying to stay in the safe zone stay in the you know the the pattern where i felt safe but i finally taught my ego that when i get inspiration it's been vetted. It's not my ego's place. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's not my ego's yeah. place to decide if the inspiration is appropriate or not. So it says start a podcast. I'm like, okay, I'll start a podcast. And 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 now I get inspiration all throughout my life. And um, I guess I would say I have a much richer, fuller experience of life because i have all these new dynamics come in and, mm. and and that that new um with the neuroplasticity of my brain it it uh, nourishes my mental capacity and and it's it's very uh it, it's a much more dynamic and influent life so to speak well now um when we talk about the subconscious there was an episode, I've worked in TV like 40 years, there was an episode that stuck in my mind where 10 people won the lottery and within like 5-10 years, 9 out of the 10 went back to being broke. And And what I'm getting at here with the subconscious is it seems like when we're first born, day one, we don't have an ego to speak of as a newborn baby. And then I've been fascinated lately with the family of origin, the environment that our ego was literally created in. Our parents come along and say, this is a chair, this is a table, this is a Bible. And then they go back and they assign value and importance to these these things, and and so in the first in the developmental years of our life, it seems like we're laying down a really strong template, so to speak, of of what is correct. What I'm getting at is the nine out of the ten people that couldn't sustain wealth, I feel like the the subconscious was part of the mechanism in that that says the dynamic I'm running doesn't fit this new thing, so I'm not going to do anything to sustain it. I'm not going to... Uh, traverse, over, traverse my mindset into a wealthy mindset. You, you know what I mean? It, it, it's like we create, yeah. a, we create a momentum of sorts about who we are and, and what we're entitled to or perhaps not entitled to. I don't know if the word entitled works. But um, 
I mean, how many people have a vision board or they say morning affirmations and they do this for really decades without substantial effect? Is is that the subconscious deciding that? Well, you know, it's not like the subconscious sits there on a throne and says, sorry, you can't have that. It's more that the subconscious operates with, you know, these beliefs and those beliefs are creating then these behaviors and those behaviors creating the results. I mean, you know what you said about the lottery winners. So you could say there are maybe a whole bunch of different patterns. So maybe one person, you know, says, well, uh, I really now am the big shot. So I just going to spend all this money on all the things I never had before, because there is a big hole, a big void inside of me that I have to fill and doesn't really pay attention to how much money goes out. Another one may feel like that. Uh, I need to now make all the friends that I never had. And so I can be super generous and invite everyone and give everyone money who wants it so that I'm feeling important or feeling wanted. Or a third one may say like, you know, oh, and I need more now. And so they are just like eager to go for all the Ponzi schemes in the world and lose the money this way. So they're all possibilities to, to in the end, end up where you started. But what they all have in common is basically that the subconscious has these wounds or these, uh, you know, these old patterns and beliefs running the behavior. The first one is maybe this, you know, I never got what I wanted or I cannot have what I want. And so then the conscious mind says, okay, if you think I cannot have what I want, I have now all the money I want, and now I'm going to overrule this, and I'm going to spend all the money I can. Or maybe the subconscious says, well, sorry, you cannot have friends because you're not very like uh, likable. And then the conscious mind says, screw that. I'm going to buy friends, and I'm going to have all the friends by, you know, basically paying everyone and, and their cousins. And this way, I'm going to feel like I belong. Or, or the third one says, you know, you're always going to be poor and, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. Who do you think you are? And then, yeah, screw that, says the conscious mind. I'm going to make money quick. Look, I can just uh, make it overnight because this person told me that's possible. So you see how the conscious mind can also go into a tug of war with the subconscious mind. And that can be a reason why things go, uh, you know, off. But the, the point that I, I think is important is that all those examples are basically not taking responsibility for changing the internal matrix. It's a big change to win in the lottery. And a similar example is when people always felt that they're going to end up alone or that they're not lovable and all of a sudden they find themselves in a relationship. If the belief of I am not lovable or I will end up alone is still somewhere inside unaddressed, what happens usually is that the relationship will be sabotaged, that this person will say, well, you know, I don't believe that my partner really loves me. You know, he or she is probably uh, cheating on me or they're just, you know, not trustworthy or they will leave me anyhow. And, and so then, you know, we are acting in a way that creates a self-fulfilling prophecy of the belief and eventually, you know, the, the person we are with just say, oh, 
I don't want to be with someone who is so complicated or so jealous or never really satisfied. And then it happens exactly that, what the belief already said in the first place. You will end up alone. So the, the importance of understanding that there may be something inside of us, a limiting belief, a limiting pattern that doesn't really help us to either sustain what we have or get what we want, that's really, really important because we often, what you said about the vision boards and affirmation, that's exactly the same. You want something outside, outside to heal what seems broken on the inside, and that doesn't work. We really have to first change our inner self, our belief system, our patterns, our our owner's manual, our value defaults, where, you know, we may really struggle with a lack of self-worth. And then we can, based on the inner changes, create outer changes. The other way around is really exactly like the lottery winners. It comes and goes. Right. So the pathway to true freedom is an inside job to go in and, and find the the mechanisms that you're posturing with, that you're um, these dysfunctional beliefs that no longer serve you. Can the, can the subconscious uh, 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 help the conscious mind? So uh, when we talk about the subconscious, I mean, through my own experience, it, it's subconscious. I mean, for decades before I got cracked open, if if I had taken a quiz that said, what's the most prominent emotions that are determining your life factors, I never ever would have listed anger, but anger was there as probably one of the most prominent. When we talk about the subconscious, it's off our flipping radar. And so, so to the listeners, really, really just assume that you have mechanisms in your psyche that aren't serving you anymore. Can our subconscious help our conscious mind become aware of what we're not aware of? Well, I mean, your example is an interesting one because what you were aware of is the pattern, the pattern of not making anyone angry or not having ever, you know, anyone look like your mother because of your emotions. I mean, you were aware of a pattern that was, you know, a survival pattern of invisibility. You didn't want to show all of you. You were probably really conflict averse. You were rather giving in and saying, oh, of course, sure, than getting into a fight. Don't you think these patterns were already there? Well, I wasn't aware of them, but I, um, in hindsight, in other words, before I got cracked open, I was not aware, but in hindsight, any choice uh, direction and like um, any time that a choice might not through a rational thinking but if this choice might stir up my anger the answer is no 
And so I was a I was a doormat. Um, right. My my boss was three things. He was malicious, um, perhaps evil, but he was also my angel. I'm sure I had a hmm. huge soul contract with him because for ten years I'd go into work and he just belittled the crap out of me. And how did you feel when he belittled you? Well, I couldn't. I couldn't be drawn to anger because that was uh, off the table and so and so I'd go home and and what I recognize is when I think about that era of my life I see my immense uh amount of anger in my subconscious as a big bowl of jello metaphorically and I go into work and my boss would do all these hockey moves on the jello and get my anger my subconscious stirred up and when i came home i just want to crash on the couch and channel surf mm. for about an hour hour and a half to let that settle right and then the right. next day i'd turn around and go back in and so i spent a vast majority of my time emotionally upset and i wasn't aware of it but I do believe, you know, this is where uh, one of the things the subconscious does communicate with us all the time. It's not the subconscious doesn't tell us what's going on. Our emotions, our emotional world are basically created by the subconscious. That's how the subconscious shows what's, you know, what's up. And same thing with our physical sensations and Sometimes when, you know, uh, mentioned before these uh, dreams, but we also have these, you know, images that pop up and then we are just dismissing them. And, and all those things, the subconscious is not like under a cloak of invisibility. It's, it's pretty much there. We just have to learn to understand it. So most people have not a great awareness of the magnitude and the, the, the multi uh, emotional expressions that are happening inside of us. It's like, you know, we have these go-to emotions of, yeah, I'm sad, I'm happy, I'm angry, and pretty much, you know, anxious maybe, but that's it, you know. And, and there are so many more subtle emotions. So that's why I think when you came home beaten down by your boss, you felt something. You may not have been totally aware of what that feeling was. Maybe you felt deflated. Maybe you felt stressed. Maybe you felt anxious. Maybe you felt ashamed. But all of those feelings can tell you something got triggered. And the fact then that you look at yourself and realize I'm not pushing back. I'm not getting angry. I'm not having a normal reaction that other people would have. That then also can tell you, obviously, wow, I'm living in some kind of a self-preservation mode, but I'm not living in a self-actualization mode. I'm not expressing myself. And so that's where I just, you know, want to invite the listeners to be aware. You know, you may be at work just having a total different experience and feeling really good and thriving and creative and honored. And as soon as you come home, you feel tense. You feel somehow more quiet. You feel like you have to walk in eggshells. And you may have accepted this, this change, but when you really think about it, this may be a change that you had for a long time because maybe you have picked a partner who reminds you of a parent and maybe, which we often do, and maybe the behavior of this partner triggers inside of you this 
more uh, self-contraction, the self-defense place. And if you see this vast difference in how you feel in one place, in one context, in another, and it's not really congruent with how you want to feel, that's a wake-up call. That's a way to say, okay, let's dig into this. Why am I a shadow of myself in one place? And why am I feeling expansive and satisfied with myself in the other place? Very well said. Very nice. I like that because I notice um, as I observe people that sometimes our dysfunctional behavior might be tagged as uh, socially uh, perhaps healthy or socially balanced. In in other words, uh, I like the example you give that w- when you go to work or you go out and interact with people, there's a, perhaps a nourishment that comes from that, a sense of safety that comes from that. And then you remove yourself from that environment, and there's a a big shift in your emotional demeanor because that stimulus or that uh, uh, mechanism of fulfillment is no longer there. It can often be a time where where you become addicted to the social environment to to keep that that first feeling that the feeling of fulfillment constantly nourished and what i'm getting at here is just because somebody looks like they're the life of the party and they're smiling and they're laughing and all that there still can be some pretty messed up mechanisms operating underneath that um perhaps facade Absolutely. In the book, I describe, for example, the chameleon, the person who always loves to fit in and, you know, get approval just by saying the right things and getting other people to like them, or the pleaser who thrives on being the caretaker, always available, never saying no. And yeah, on paper, that looks pretty nice, jovial, good friend, you know, good helper. But what, you know, can tell you that this is a survival pattern if it's out of balance. For example, if you are the chameleon and you really need other people to feel safe, as soon as you're alone, how do you feel? Right. Oh, you have to turn the TV on. You cannot really, you know, listen to your own voice. You have to call quickly someone because you're feeling like you're with a stranger who you don't really like. And so that's out of balance. Or when you think about the helper, Uh, the caretaker who has a really hard time to even know what they want. You know, what is it what I need? Is there anything that, uh, you know, would actually tell me that my batteries are empty and how come that anyone can call me at two o'clock in the morning and, and tell them their sob story without me having a boundary? So that is where we can all live in, in those patterns and feel like while we're in it, Oh, something good is happening. But does that really then uh, encompass all of our life? Or are we so dependent and so, quote unquote, addicted to those patterns that when we are not in them, 
that we feel empty. Just, you know, the workaholics is a good example. They just feel like they are always on and thriving in their job. And even Sunday, they're still on the desk. But then when you really look at their life, they have no hobby. They have no relationships. They don't really feel like they know what they want. And as soon as they leave their job, they fall into a deep depression because their whole sense of self, their whole identity was hinging on that job. Just like a chameleon or a pleaser, their identity is based on how other people see them and not how they see themselves. And I mentioned the importance of feeling connected to yourself. All of those patterns disconnect us from ourselves because we are declaring something outside of us as a source of safety and worthiness. And that is not sustainable and that is certainly not also how we are supposed to live because we are just replacing our parents with other people to make us feel good. Wow, nice. I like that. Well, now, we just have a few minutes left, so I'm going to take a... a a sharp turn here, and and we've been talking pretty much about the mechanism of the individual, but if we take a step back and we look at the collective, the collective subconscious, there was a, and when, when the Jews left Germany and and created the state of Israel, a lot of the the men vowed to never again be passive, never again be passive when their their community was threatened. And then in the first Gulf War, Saddam Hussein's lob and scud missiles at Israel, and there is an immense amount of pressure from the United States to not fight back. And so they had just taken a vow to always fight back and never be passive and and within a generation or two here they are being attacked again and then through the political pressure they were um, pressured into not fighting back completely contrary to the vow that they had taken i use that example because it, it the the contrast is evident but if we look at the collective subconscious of humanity, can there be uh, collective patterns, collective um, angst, you, you know what I mean, as, as a whole society? Well, I don't know if it's uh, collective in regards to feeling connected, you know, one big subconscious created as, uh, you know, as a way of how people in a, in a collective are thinking or feeling, but what certainly is true that there are outside forces that can manipulate the subconscious on a global or at least on a, on a bigger uh, scale to feel anxious or, you know, right now we see this big divide in the U.S., you know, where there is just such a divide even in families and how to see the world, you know, pro-choice, uh, pro-life, and, you know, more right, more liberal. And, and it really is something where uh, whatever the outside forces are that are saying, you know, okay, this is how the world is, and you have to be afraid, or you have to stand up for this, and you have to fight for that, 
it triggers in us a sense of anxiety or it triggers in us a sense of frustration and anger and and that is where the more we are disconnected from ourselves the more difficult it becomes for us to step back and say wait a second do i really believe in this or am i actually kind of uh, not in agreement so this this is a phenomenon that happened certainly in germany with hitler where so many people were blindly following this little man from Austria because there was this constant bombardment through this propaganda machine that created a collective angst and anger. And all of that was used then as a force to do horrible, horrible atrocities or whatever you call it. But the, the point is just that we are all susceptible to look outside of us for guidance, for someone who tells us this is right, this is wrong, this is what we need to believe in, this is what we don't believe in anymore. And and that is especially, you know, fertile ground when we are not having internally a mechanism that actually says, I know myself, I know my values, I know my truth, I'm connected to my soul. I know what feels right and wrong. I don't have to go into the blind sheep follow mode. And right now, it is such an interesting lack of belief and faith that we see in society in general. Nothing seems to be anything we can believe in. Everything is up for grabs. We cannot believe in science. We cannot believe in government. We cannot believe in higher power. We cannot believe in anything anymore. So what do we need to hold on to? Well, I would say the best way to get back to a peaceful place is to learn to believe in yourself, to look at your inner guidance system and not look at I don't know, some random uh, person on Facebook who tells you this is what the truth is and this is all the other things that you shouldn't really listen to because that is where the confusion happens and that's where our subconscious can be globally manipulated into ultimately doing things that come from anger and fear. Very nice. So if, if the forces that be, so to speak, intentionally try to hurt the masses with propaganda and and inflicting fear and anxiety and whatnot through the the media really the best thing we can do both individually and collectively is go inside ourselves and and bring bring a sense of wholeness a sense of um, sovereignty, if you will, a sense of discernment, if you will, in in our own psyche. And as we do that individually, it happens collectively. And then humanity has more substance to itself and can't be so easily influenced by others. Does that exactly. Mean? Absolutely. That is really in a nutshell, what my mission for this book and for my work is about, helping ourselves to come back to that what we know is truth, which was, you know, deep inside us, our authenticity. You know, I, as a simple example, I have some relatives that are the nicest people, super caring, super 
you know, uh, always friendly to anyone. And But when it comes to then talking about the subjects that they have been infiltrated with, all they become completely the opposite, you know, against, uh, I don't know, against uh, trans people, against homosexuality, against uh, abortion. So it's their their way of being and then their way of thinking based on the infiltration that they have been you know, susceptible to is very um, incongruent. So they're they're talking and maybe just, you know, having opinions that are not in alignment with who they are as people. And if they would actually stop and really check in and say, you know, where is my inner guidance system? What's my my belief, you know, in regards to how to be in the world and how, you know, what my values are and how to treat others, they would realize now, actually, I do believe much more in acceptance and kindness and compassion than in judgment and separation and control. And and that is something that I think a lot of people are right now struggling with. So we have to reconnect to our truth again to make this a much more livable place again. Very well said. Well, an hour can go by pretty fast, and I want to make sure the, <laughs> the audience knows about your books. Uh, if If you work with people, I mean, take the time, tell us about all your books, your website, um, if there's services you have, let the audience know about your platform. Thank you. Well, there are two books. The Empowerment Solution is the newest book, and then there is the Fear and Anxiety Solution, which is really about helping you to outgrow anxiety and fear with the help of the subconscious mind. And they go really well hand in hand. It's kind of you get a clean slate uh, with the first one, and then you get a new owner's manual with the second one on how to navigate through life towards thriving and empowerment. I do have uh, a website that is drfriedman.com. I don't know if it's going to be in the description, but it's basically spelled D-R-F-R-I-E-D-E-M-H-A-2-N-S.com. I do individual breakthrough sessions with clients. I also have an online course from anxiety to empowerment that uh, you can at any time subscribe to. I have a YouTube channel with my name, Dr. Friedman, and there are other all outlets, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. You can find me in all those places. And if you go to the website, you can certainly find uh, many tools just for you to enjoy and get started with. If you know the subconscious mind is something that you realize you need to collaborate with in order to change and upgrade your life. So. Uh, the beginning of the journey can be right now. Just check it out or go to my YouTube channel with all the podcasts that are there. And uh, I'm sure you will find that there are solutions for you. Very nice. Well, I rarely um, endorse books in a point blank way, but I endorse your book, The Empowerment Solution, Six Keys to Unlocking Your Full Potential, with the subconscious mind, 
this is a book I think that would benefit pretty much everyone that reads it. It it really spoke to me at, uh, as far as the the mechanisms I had in my life and uh, the insight and the clarity that you bring to to the, these types of uh, personal challenges, you might say, is is very well done. So uh, thank you for writing the book. And we're pretty much at the time's up, Mark. Uh, Dr. Friedman, I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. It's been such a delightful conversation. I agree. Thank you so much. And thank you for endorsing the book. Just one thing that I wanted to mention, it will be very soon, probably in the next week or so, out as an audible as well. Uh, I recorded it and uh, so you can listen to me while you are laying in bed. You don't even have to read it yourself. You can just let it be read too. Well, very nice. We've been talking with Dr. Friedman about his latest book, The Empowerment Solution. What a fun interview. The, the subconscious mechanism. And I, I like how we touched on how our subconscious is programmed and triggered uh, collectively and, uh, and how that might not serve us going forward. If, if we have subconscious programming in our psyche and we, and we don't tend to it, so to speak, I, if you look at the the collective narrative that's going on, there's a there's a big tug of war for the new normal, the new truth, so to speak. And I, a lot of the tactics is based on subconscious uh, manipulation. So what a what a delightful show! I I really have enjoyed this episode. And I want to thank you, the listener, for showing up for yourself. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> I feel like I've been in the cave for a while because I've done so much inner work for many, many years. I've focused uh, internally and I've really did a deep scrub, a deep dive. And, uh, I feel like I'm coming out of the cave and seeing the sunshine and feeling the breeze and I'm looking to build out the new human living platform to provide online classes and online resources to help you in your spiritual journey. I'll have more details as time goes by, but in the meantime, you can go to our, the New Human Living YouTube channel, and I post uh, karmic, I don't know what, karmic conversations or karmic little uh, snippets of, of looking at the karmic mechanisms of the human genome, which includes you and me. <laughs> Another great show. Always a pleasure. Until next time. This has been a New Human Living broadcast. If you're looking for spiritual resources, there's literally 
hundreds of podcasts just like this one, free online. You can find them at newhumanliving.com. If you sign up for the newsletter, I write a weekly blog that helps you contemplate the nature of nature, contemplate the nature of your own human genome, contemplate your own human potential. How powerful is that? I can say it's powerful because you are powerful. I want to thank you for joining us in tonight's broadcast. I appreciate you, the listener. Until next time, thanks for listening.